Hey everyone, welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and today I have an amazing guest who I could not be more excited to have on the show. Her name is Kelly McGonigal. She is the Kelly McGonigal. She has a infamous TED Talk about stress, and her latest book is The Joy of Movement. I can't wait to have Kelly on here. You're also going to see her at Optima. So Kelly, come on on and come on in and introduce yourself if you would. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love your show and I'm excited to see where we take this conversation. And, you know, since you said introduce yourself, I will say that um, what most people know me as, of course, is as a psychologist and an author. But I'm so excited to be talking to an audience that would also care about the thing that I value most about myself, which is that I have been teaching group movement experiences, everything from yoga to strength training to dance and old school aerobics for more than 20 years. So um, that is who I am. I love that. You know, me too. I've been, I love those big groups of exercisers. So, you know, Kelly, I have to tell our audience because it means a lot to me. So I originally met Kelly, but never met Kelly. I used to teach at Northern Illinois and I used to show Kelly's Ted talk about stress every single semester because I taught a course called stress management. So for five years, every semester, I showed Kelly's TED talk and I was just smitten by that TED talk. And isn't it funny how the universe works in mysterious ways? And then I heard that you got to be a guest on my podcast and I was so excited because you know, I stopped teaching there in 2012 and I'm like, oh my goodness, the universe brought me, or 2017, sorry, the universe brought me to you and I couldn't be more excited. That was an amazing TED talk. Thank you. So have you, um, so let's do this. Let's start with, you know, you and I share a lot of kind of, um, you mentioned that you love to teach group fitness. You, um, you know so much about movement. You know so much about stress. You're a health psychologist. I feel like you are the epitome. I mean, you truly epitomize good health from the inside out. And that's why I really admire your work. And I know that you're also going to be speaking at Optima. What are you actually going to be speaking about at Optima? You're one of the keynotes, right? Well, good question. Actually, it's going to be a facilitated conversation with uh, Rick Ritchie, who hosts one of the other um, NASM podcasts. So we we originally had the idea to bring me on board um, because I've been working with NASM on a new product that really is about my role was really about helping people come to view movement as not something you only do for physical health or weight loss or appearance, but really as something that you can do to experience joy purpose, meaning, social connection, personal growth, resilience, to really embrace movement as an opportunity to experience human capacities for, for joy and strength, um, everything that makes human beings wonderful. So I've been working on that project and we thought maybe that would be a useful perspective to bring to Optima. Um, because it's what I'm really passionate about. And also, you know, when we were originally thinking about my participation it was when everyone was just starting to transition back from maybe not being connected in person to being connected in person again going from training people online or doing zoom movement classes and really what it was going to be like when people were coming back together again and a lot of my research as a psychologist has focused on social connection how people form communities and social support networks 
um, and how to deepen empathy and compassion. So I don't know if we'll talk about that, but it's one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons why I love group movement experiences is because of the many opportunities there are for people to feel seen and witnessed and celebrated. And also through uh, a trainer relationship, the opportunity one-on-one to be that person who makes someone feel seen and valued and supported. Um, So maybe we'll talk about that too. I love that. It's that authenticity in that group environment, right? It's those connections that are made. And I love that you're talking about that at Optima because I feel like that is, again, that is kind of the foundation of who you are. And before before we do talk about that, what I would love to know is how did you get your start? It sounds like you've been leading groups for like 20 years. You're also a health psychologist. You spoke about stress. So I feel like, you know, we cross all these spaces and I just, I'm, I'm dying to know where was your start? What got you passionate about? Uh, so in psychology, they say all research is me-search. Maybe you've heard that. Um, but you know, the reason I became interested in both health psychology and movement is, um, you know how some people are just born with a temperament, with the genetic tendencies, the personality, uh, to experience anxiety, existential dread. I mean, I am that person. What my biological set point is basically terrified. And that's been true from the time I was uh, super young. And that also came along with the experience of chronic pain as far back as I can remember. I basically experienced my body as a really uncomfortable place to be and my mind as a really uncomfortable place to be. Um, So, and this was, you know, growing up uh, in the early eighties, it's not like anyone in my life, teachers or parents uh, even was even on their radar that someone that young could be experiencing mental health issues. Um, So I was kind of like a do-it-yourself girl. And I found aerobics and calisthenics um, when I was maybe seven or eight uh, because my mom would bring home VHS tapes from garage sales thinking that she would use them. She never did, but I did. And um, I started to experience something through moving my body in ways uh, that were synchronized with other people's bodies, synchronized to music. Jazzercise was one of my early favorites, the original Jazzercise workout. And um, I just immediately had that, that joy of moving to music, that felt sense of connection that comes from moving with other people, even if it's through a TV screen. And uh, the relief, that, uh, the way that my mind would quiet, the way that I would feel better. It was like medicine to me Um, and also very different from how I experienced my body in other contexts where it was either just, you know, producing pain all the time or I was very clumsy, uncoordinated and slow. So my experience in sports and gym class was basically shame. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I found aerobics and it was a major turning point for me. And I had a similar experience um, becoming interested in the mind-body connection through psychology. I just kept following those threads. I wanted to know what is the mind-body connection? Um, How, why do we suffer and how can we relieve suffering? Followed that thread right into graduate school, which is when I um, started studying the relationship between emotions and the physical body, and also started studying how people form social support networks. Uh, And at the same time, I started teaching um, dance and yoga when I was a graduate student. And um, the, you know, what I have found is that uh, when I give myself wholeheartedly to the things that were good medicine for me, that I can 
explain to people why it matters and create experiences that give them some of that same thing that they need as well. Um, and so, you know, when I think about this morning, I taught a, um, a dance class. And in that class, I know because we're a community, um, there are a couple people who have recently lost their spouse. Um, there is someone who's caregiving for a, a parent and it's a very challenging situation. Um, there's a lot of, of suffering going on in that room. That's just part of being human. Mm -hmm. But I know that that dance community that we have, just like it's been for me, the opportunity to move to music, to move with other people, to be seen and witnessed and supported um, is really key to maintaining hope and moving forward. And um, so that's that's sort of how I got started in all of this. And that's sort of how I, I view um, my, my mission right now to keep understanding the science so I can share it, so motivate people. So like if we talk about what happens in your brain during collective joy or how your muscles produce hope molecules when you exercise, all this like amazing science stuff, I'm interested in it because I believe that by sharing it, I can create a feeling in other people of hope, of possibility, so that they will put themselves into situations where they can experience those benefits. Um, that's what I'm really passionate about. I love the way that you explained it, and I love the way that you come from an authentic place. I was over here laughing when you said your baseline was kind of terrified and, and um, you know, not being comfortable in your own skin. And I do feel that that is where the group environment is so impactful because I, too, you know, I, too, taught a fitness class this morning. And it's interesting when you finish the class, how many stories that you hear about people's lives. And it's it's very similar to the stories that I hear about my clients' lives and mental health, only a completely different setting. And yet the outcome is so powerful on the fitness floor as much as it is in that one on one therapeutic setting. It's a different approach. Absolutely. But movement brings such connectedness and authenticity and i love that you that there was something in the universe that helped you to find that place that was able to stabilize your emotions and help you recognize what movement can actually do because i think that what you do is you kind of epitomize what every group fitness instructor knows but they don't have the science to speak about it, if that makes sense. Every group fitness out there is testament to how, or every small group personal trainer is testament to all the stories that they hear about their clients and the impactful difference that it makes to build community and have that social connection. But not everyone can put the science behind it and say, but this is actually evidence-based. This makes sense that people have these outcomes. So I, I just, I really, yeah. um, I really thank you for sharing yeah. that story. Like, and, um, and, and the science can also make us better at it. So let me just give you an example from my fitness class this morning. I recently read a study that was looking at the benefits of sound effects when people are moving. So, you know, imagine you're doing whatever you're doing, you're punching, you're lifting weights, you're dancing. Do you make sounds that, or do you hear sounds that feel like what you're doing in your body. And so I was leading a dance today and I start making these sound effects, which I won't, I won't inflict <laughs> on you, but like the boom and the pop and the and all of that stuff and encouraging my students to do that too, because the research found that it increases the endorphin rush that you get from movement. We know, and here's why that matters. Okay. It's kind of silly, right? So if I'm asking my students, we were slapping our thighs and clapping and making these sound effects that really embody the song and the movement. 
Um, yeah, it's more fun. Endorphins are great for feeling better, but we also know that one of the reasons that people feel connected to people uh, they, that they move with is because of endorphins. Endorphins are not just a feel-good chemical in your brain. They are the neurobiology of bonding. So when you are experiencing endorphins in a, a collective experience, it makes you like the people you're with more. It makes you feel more similar to them. It increases uh, trust and a sense of belonging. So it's why anything that you can do in a movement experience to increase endorphins, it could be working harder. It could be using music that people love. It could be making sound effects. You know, whatever you can do um, is going to enhance that social connection that people feel by accessing this, this basic biology we have, which is to feel connected to people that we have these either emotional experiences with or even challenging experiences with, which is another, another thing that can provoke endorphins, of course, is, are things that are difficult and challenging. Um, so anyways, so like this is an example of how I apply the science, but also I, I love, you know, one of my, um, my missions is to share this in a way that makes fitness professionals also feel really excited about what they do and really confident that what they're doing is changing lives. Yeah, I love that because again, I think that there are a lot of um, small group trainers and a lot of large group trainers who are out there um, not even recognizing the uh, the depth of the impact that they are making, right? And again, it's it's so similar to the impact that we're making in mental health, but it's just a different application and a different approach. So. I am talking to Kelly McGonigal. She is a health psychologist. She is also the, uh, the speaker in one of the most infamous TED Talks about stress that I would show to my students every semester. Uh, Kelly loves movement. She just had, wrote a book called The Joy of Movement. And we're just here talking to her about movement and about stress and about exercise and everything she does, right? <laughs> yes. All right. So Kelly, I have a question for you. Um, tell us a little bit about stress and tell us a little bit about a, that science about stress and movement and, and the relationship, the positive relationship between us moving and mitigating our stress levels. Okay. Oh my gosh. So many things. So first, let me start by sharing a perspective on stress that I think is really useful, like independent of movement and exercise. Um, which is that stress is what arises in your brain and in your body and sometimes within communities when something that you care about is at stake. So it's not a sign that there's something wrong with you. It is not a toxic state that you need to get rid of or suppress. Stress is basically your body and brain saying, this is a moment that matters let me give you access to resources that will help you deal with it. That can include things that give you energy, like adrenaline, cortisol, a stress hormone that helps you use energy. It can include chemicals that help your brain adapt and learn from experience, like brain-derived neurotropic factor and DHEA. It can include hormones like oxytocin that encourage you to reach out, to ask for help, to connect with others. Um, it can include even the things we really hate about stress, like the fact that you can't stop thinking about something, that feeling of rumination or feeling stuck. Um, all of that, the parts that we maybe enjoy and the parts we definitely don't enjoy, it's about your body and brain saying, look, this is reality. What can we do now? What can we do to protect ourselves? What can we do to get closer to our goals? What can we do to enact our values? What can we do to support our community? And so when you define stress in that way, 
it makes it really easier to harness the benefits of stress and also um, respond to stress in a way that can reduce some of the harmful effects of stress. Um, so that's sort of that's my main perspective on stress. Um, but even just the mindset that I shared that when you're feeling stress, it's an opportunity to say, okay, what do I care about? What matters most right now? What can I do or choose in this moment that reflects my values or my goals? Uh, is there support available? How do I want this situation to change me? You know, there are questions that you can ask in moments of stress that are going to give you access to everything from, you know, the biology and the neurochemistry of a healthy stress response to that deep human capacity to, to find common humanity, to make meaning out of situations that we would never have chosen for ourselves. So that's a, a basic mindset towards stress. And we can talk about stress and exercise in a moment, but I, I'll just throw that back at you and see. <laughs> You know what I, I I think honestly that's what drove me to your TED talk is that you were the one who got on there and said, look, let's basically in a nutshell, let's stop freaking out about stress. Stress has positive benefits and stress can actually um, you know, if we lean into stress, kind of like you said, it's an opportunity. It's almost like I hear you say it's an opportunity to tap into your value system because when you're stressed, you really recognize what's most important and, and what your your body and your mind are telling you about the stress that you're experiencing. It's not the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Stress does have positive benefits. And when I would show that TED talk and I would listen to it over and over again, what I came away with was feeling less stress. In other words, I wasn't chasing stress. I wasn't stressed about being stressed. Kind of like clients get anxious about being anxious. And so it, it mitigated people feeling bad about being stressed. Yes. And this is this is a really important part of this perspective, because sometimes people hear this and they think, well, you couldn't possibly be talking about real stress um, or what what you're saying is dangerous. Then people will just be stressed. And that's horrible. Um, so, you know, the perspective I like to put this in is you can be deeply committed to reducing suffering in your own life and in the world, and that is going to be stressful. Human beings get stressed when we care, and there are a lot of things that we can't control that are challenging and difficult and painful, and you do not get to be human and avoid that. So part of this is being super pragmatic. If I could reduce all of the suffering in the world tomorrow, I would, and yet, I know that in my own life and every life I come into contact with, people are going to be dealing with fear, loss, crisis, uncertainty, pain, harm, discrimination, all of that. It is real and I can't change that today. So this perspective is about stop using, so do not use your own stress as a signal that you are inadequate to the moment and that your priority should be on feeling different. You know, I think that's where a lot of people get into trouble because we've heard that stress is bad for us. And so we turn to things that turn off the stress temporarily, like alcohol or distraction or food or gambling or whatever to try to not feel stressed in this moment that doesn't allow us to engage with life strategically to get the support we need or to make the change we want to see in the world or take good, good care of ourselves. So that's really what this perspective is about, is um, maybe nobody wants stress, but it's here. So how do we trust ourselves and also turn toward resources that 
allow us to engage with the stress that matters most. Um, and that has a ripple effect wherein our actual stress response becomes healthier and we strengthen relationships that are meaningful to us. And we learn and we, and we grow. And we get better at managing it. It's like we can't suppress stress, mm -hmm. just like we can't Doesn't suppress work. emotions. And so really what I heard in your talk and what I hear you say today is it's not about suppression because another word that comes to mind is shame. We shame ourselves. I shouldn't feel stressed because I've heard that stress is bad for my heart. I've heard that stress can, you know, um, can, it can just destroy my health. But really that's when, like you said, people turn to these destructive behaviors when in fact we have to lean in. It's very much like mindfulness and meditation. You have to lean into your stress in order to find your way through it. And you have to recognize that when you're stressed, again, it's something meaningful to you and it makes sense that you feel stressed. And so now what are some hope, healthy coping mechanisms that we can do to find our way through the stress, not try to numb the stress, not try to avoid the stress, but to actually say, okay, this means something to me. What can I do to get through it? And, you know, you found movement. You said in the beginning, you know, my, my, my baseline is being terrified and anxious. And so I need to find movement to, to keep myself steady. And, and you know what? Hey, welcome to the club. Right. And you know what? It's movement, but it's also COVID made this very clear to me when there was a period of six months when I couldn't teach in person is um, it's not just the movement. It's the creating movement experiences that help other people. So another way that I cope with stress is trying to be of use, you know, to get that feedback that there is something that I've done that made someone else feel more hopeful or more joyful or more um, or less alone. That's the most important thing that sustains me. So it's like the movement does this kind of biochemistry thing I need. And then the meaning that I can make out of offering movement experiences to other people is this other great source of resilience for me. And when I'm when I talk to people about finding coping strategies, I find that I often am focusing on um, that sort of approach rather than the approach of trying to feel less stressed. So we know that the greatest sources of resilience are when people feel positive emotions, hope about the future, um, joy, connected, connectedness to other people or to something bigger than themselves. Um, resilience, its roots are in these positive states and positive beliefs. Um, believing that other people are good is like an amazing source of resilience rather than sort of believing that most people at their core are not good. So are there activities that you can do that reinforce some of these positive emotions and beliefs that make you feel better about yourself, the future, your community, humanity? And that is different than stress coping that is about wanting to, in this moment, relax or detach or escape. And there's room for all of those coping strategies but I just, one of the things that I found as a psychologist is I kept hearing people recommend coping strategies that were about escape and relaxation, which really are about recovery, but they don't refuel you in the same way as finding things that are meaningful and joyful and that connect you to, to other people or something bigger than yourself. 
Yeah, I love that because it's almost looking for things you can add rather than ways that I can get rid of these feelings. So what can I add? What can contribute to this sense of feeling connected to other people? And I had to laugh when you said that because during COVID, I recognized that I do not bring myself the joy that I bring other people. <laughs> when I'm leading groups, I make them laugh and I bring a lot of connectedness and I draw them to one another and I create these big communities. But when I had to work out with just myself, I was like, oh, this is just not the same. So, And do you know what? My So my workouts really changed during that period when I couldn't teach in person. I found myself very attracted to hard workouts. I started doing high intensity interval training. Um, and boxing were my and and a little bit more weightlifting because it is different. I didn't want to dance alone in my living room. Mm-hmm. It just was not the same. Um, but what I found is that by pushing myself in what was a very safe space, it was entirely internal. So nobody was telling me I had to push harder other than like the person leading the workout on the app that I was using, that I got to experience myself as brave. As persistent, you know, through boxing, I I felt this will to live, like emerging and expressing itself and punching and kicking. And that was what I needed at that time in my life. And that's also something I, I you know, I'm always encouraging people to do is to think about movement as like a metaphor. So what part of yourself do you want to access? What's the story that you want to be able to tell um, about yourself? because you did a certain activity or workout. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing less of that boxing now that I have an opportunity to connect and contribute. Mm-hmm. But during that first part of the pandemic, the story I needed to tell is that I have a will to live in a period of, of really deep isolation from, at that time I was very isolated from family and community and my profession. Yeah, I like that. I like that that movement is that metaphor for what's actually going on in your in your mind and what can you do to express that. And at different periods in our lives, we're going through different experiences. So uh, the expression of movement is probably going to look very different because if it's based on that and if we're truly basing movement on what's going on in our own human psychology and our own experiences, it makes sense that our movement's going to change. So Kelly, so again, I'm talking to Kelly McGonigal. She's a health psychologist. She just wrote The Joy of Movement and she has a wonderful TED talk on stress. And Kelly, I want to ask you about, I want to go back to Optima because we touched on Optima. And I know that you're going to be speaking with Rick at Optima and you talked about a couple of quick things that I think you really want to speak to at Optima. And I thought we could kind of go into that a little bit. Some of those talking points that you are going to share with our um, our Optima <laughs> attendees. You're optimistic. I don't know what the talking points are going to be. Because um, one of the things that Rick and I committed to is we were going to have a conversation that was really responsive to the present moment. So we're going we're gonna to need to touch base again about that. Um, I, but I think that, you know, one of the things that we had talked about previously was about meeting people where they are when you have an opportunity to reconnect with them. So, you know, in our earlier conversation, one of the things we talked about was as people are reconnecting with movement, that um, a lot of things have changed. So some people's bodies have changed. Some people are dealing with side effects of long COVID. Um, Some people have gained weight and have certain feelings about that. Some people have stories in their head about how they should have maintained fitness and didn't, and we know their abilities, what they can't do anymore. Um, 
And also some people have experienced really difficult changes in their life that they uh, find it difficult to explain every time they see someone again that they haven't seen in a while, whether it's loss, loss of a job, um, big changes in their life circumstances. So we had talked about having a mindset of, um, of real true empathy and uh, delight in reconnecting, which is something that, you know, even if right now where you are, that's not your primary experience. So maybe you're not seeing, although, you know, just this week I saw um, somebody I hadn't seen in class since before COVID and it was her first class back um, since her last class with me in March, 2020. So, you know, people are still emerging, re-emerging. But even if it's just someone you haven't seen since last week, how do you come to any new um, interaction with a mindset of, I am so happy to see you as you are. When I first see you, I am not assessing you. I am not evaluating you. And I'm not even paying attention to your body right now. I'm going to see you. Um, and then how to also have this mindset, you know, before I do any, any class that I teach or any talk that I give, I, I try to remember to remind myself, you do not know what people are bringing to this moment. This could be the hardest day of this person's life. Not everyone in the room, but there is a chance it's somebody's. And to try to enter that interaction, holding the space that if this is, the worst day of someone's life or yesterday they got the news they never wanted to receive is what i'm bringing to this moment is it is it respectful of that reality that i'm coming to this not knowing but trying to bring something that could meet that reality for someone a level of respect and a level of hope and you know a level of kindness that would meet that moment if that's true for someone those are the things that i think about i don't know if we'll talk about that at optima but we could talk about it now i guess we are you know what i think that that's that's key i think that the first thing that i heard you say was meet people where they're at and i think that all of us that's the best thing that any of us can keep in mind on a day-to-day -day basis meet people where they're at because you're right people's bodies have changed their mindset has changed their mission their value system during COVID, if it did anything for all of us it helped us all to reconnect with our value system. What is most important to me? What do I, what kind of difference do I most want to make? Where do I most want to spend my time and who do I most want to be with? And so during COVID, we all, I hope, reconnected with our value system. And so when you're meeting people where they're at, it could be that you're meeting this person that you haven't seen in six months and their entire life has changed because they've reassessed their values and they've, they've walked away a different version of themselves. But I love how I also, I love two words that you said, you said, empathy and delight because mm -hmm. when i meet someone where they're at i have to have total empathy that i have no idea where they are i know this person but i don't know where they are today and we are somewhere different every single day based on our experiences and so meeting them where they are and if i've ever learned this i've learned this sitting across from clients and mental health is that one day i could meet this person where they're at and everything could be going very well and one week later the whole world could have shifted for them and so i feel like that has been a huge priority for me but I love the word empathy and I love the word delight. It's like I was delighted to have you on today and to see you. 
And and I, I I hope that that comes across for all of us. Just being excited to see each other. And let's be honest, those of us who are fitness professionals, many of us are extremely privileged in this respect where people are happy to be there. Um, and there are people who are happy to see us when we show up. And I gotta tell you, a lot of people do not have that experience professionally or in their social circles. There are a lot of people walking around who are not received with delight. And if there's, it's the greatest gift for me of being a fitness professional. Most of the people who are in my classes are really happy to be there and they project all sorts of things on me that I don't deserve. But because I help create experiences where they get to feel joy, where they get to express themselves. And so, you know, part of our responsibility um, as fitness movement professionals, I think, is to be a mirror and be just as delighted to see every human being who um, comes to train with us or move with us. Um, it is one of the greatest gifts you can give people is just to be delighted to see them. And sincerely also, right, that this is not something you can fake. So um, find something to love about every client, every, every single person. Yes, I, I have an idea. I think you just greet everybody the way that our dogs greet us. So <laughs> I always say that if I greeted every human the way that Bodie greets me, like no man has ever been as excited to see me as my dog is to see me. I could leave the house for five minutes and he is so extremely excited. So if I could make everyone feel that special as, as he makes me feel, we would all, you know, we'd be in a better place. In this I place. think that's, that is a really good strategy. And as somebody who only has cats, I would say that is not an equally good strategy. Definitely don't treat people the way your cats. <laughs> They're like, no. oh, human, are you still here? Yes, yes, you're home. Okay, well, I'm busy licking my paws. Yes, I totally get that. So, you know, Kelly, I am, I can't wait to hear you at Optima. Um, I'll be speaking at Optima on emotional intelligence, as a matter of fact. And I can't wait to hear you speaking with Rick. I think that we are really blessed and excited to have you with us this year. Um, I do hope that everybody checks out your book, The Joy of Movement. And I hope that they listen to your TED Talk. And uh, the universe brought you to me or me to you or however it works. And I'm really glad that you came on today and that you shared some things. I think the what you offered us about stress was really, really profound. And thanks for you know sharing about your own background and experiences and how you came into this space. Yeah, thank you. And I hope we get to meet in person someday. That's next step too. Yes, exactly. Well, Kelly, thank you again. And thanks to all of our NASM Alpha audience. And we will see you next week. Mm -hmm.